This is Bobby Shanks, author of the now released book and number one bestseller in the category of dating on Amazon, Undateable. Thank you so much for joining us today on another exciting episode of Undateable, the book and podcast. And we have a very special guest today, and we'll get right to that here in just a moment. First, let me introduce our show's producer, the incredible world's best social media maestro of all time, in Brown. What's up, everyone? We're going to have a really awesome show. I'm really excited for our guest today. All right. So I want to introduce uh, Cornelia Shipley, and uh, we're going to turn it over you to you, Cornelia. Tell us what makes you so fantastic, besides the fact that you're an international book author, public speaker, career coach for women, and fill us in on the rest of the incredible details of your life. This is going to be great. Oh, wow. Well, yep. So I, you know, I too can show my little, my little ditty here, right? So I wrote this book uh, back in 2014, a couple years after my mother passed away, unexpectedly five days after my wedding. And um, so I run a firm called 3C Consulting. We specialize in the retention and advancement of mission critical talent. We've been around uh, almost 20 years now, which is pretty cool when you think about the, the journey of entrepreneurship. And we help organizations retain and advance their mission critical talent. So we work at the intersection of leadership, culture, strategy, and, and diversity and inclusion. And so um, we have a, a blast working with women one-on-one, -on -one, predominantly at the director level and above, helping them think through how they really do deliver on their leadership objectives and imperatives while making sure they can still have a life that has meaning and joy for them. Okay, so people are already going to be asking themselves, isn't this a show about dating and relationships and being single? And here we have this uh, internationally well-known uh, career coach for women. So how does this correlate? And I'm going to turn it over to Ian. And Ian, if you can give us an introduction of how you met Cornelia in New York, uh, Manhattan, of all places. And this is going to make a lot more sense to our viewers. And it's going to be a great lead-in for our first topic. Absolutely. Yeah, so Cornelia and I, so I overheard a conversation uh, that Cornelia was having with uh, another attendee in uh, at a conference that we were we were at, and basically she was asking someone who was getting married in the next six or eight months uh, three questions, or she was telling him uh, three questions that he and his fiance needed to answer before they got married. And I overheard this, and I went, "Oh, well, maybe I need to hear a little bit more about this." So I walked over. Uh, and Cornelia blew my mind with these questions. And Cornelia, can you, you know, reiterate those for our audience and also kind of give a background of how you came up with those? Absolutely. So the three questions are, what are the public, private, and secret reasons you want to be partnered with this person? Right. And so a public reason might be we've been together for 986 years. <laughs> a private reason might be um, that you really value the other person's work ethic or their athleticism or something, you know, unique to them as an individual. And a secret reason might be something unique to you, like, um, I don't want to be alone. 
or I, you know, it's something that you would feel um, not necessarily shame, but feel a little uncomfortable with your spouse knowing that this is part of the reason why you want to be with them. It could be um, that they're very wealthy. It could be that they're going to give you access to something you don't have access to now. But you have personal, public, private, and secret reasons you want to be with your spouse. And you've got to be ready, willing, able to have the conversation with them about what those things are because they will strengthen your marriage. They'll strengthen your partnership if you're willing to have that conversation. And if you're not, Given that I believe relationships are the space where we do our most healing and our most development, you're setting yourself up for failure um, to be able to actually develop into the person that this relationship is designed to support you to to actually create and be as a human being. So, first of all, double high five. And I believe that any relationship... Uh, especially towards the beginning, like where, you know, you're, you're actively dating, maybe you're getting close to that DTR determine the relationship moment where you're like, Hey, I really like this person. I'm, I'm going to be willing to commit and be monogamous with them. And the, like, to me, that's the time to insert these questions, public, private, and secret. And, and there could be more, but I, I think when you answer those three questions, you can, right, those are like major tree branches and and those twig off into a lot of other areas of conversation that I agree are are very healthy um, and important questions to have. Otherwise, you're just kind of the blind, pardon the expression, but blind leading the blind, um, going down the yellow brick road with, with really no understanding of what the destination is because you haven't talked about it. That's right. And two people from a, from a metaphysical perspective. And I think, Ian, you and I talked a little bit about this when we were together in New York, right? I'm, I'm getting a PhD in metaphysics, um, all about how thoughts become things. And at the end of the day, it's my belief that when two people are partnered together, there's purpose behind that. And if you haven't talked about why are we doing this, like beyond just I think you're cute <laughs> and would like to procreate and have children with you. Hmm. What is the impact that you really want to be having on your community and your world? Why are you doing this? And how are you viewing your partner in terms of the value that you're hoping that they'll bring to you and your life? Um, Because if you're not partnering with someone, I, I used to say this all the time. When I started dating my husband, I refused to call him my boyfriend. Um, I was like, and I didn't refuse to call us dating. I was like, we're just going to see how this goes because I had, I had been dating for a long, with a very long G (laughs) time. Um, and so when I met him and started dating him, I was like, look, I'm not putting labels on this because I've screwed labels up. Like, let's just see what happens. And when people would ask me about him and the status of our relationship, my answer was always, well, by 2012, we'll be married or we won't. Bam. (laughs) So you, did you have a, um, like you just, and I don't know what the time frame is from the, the, when you met to 2012, but you knew for you that there was, you know, I hate to say you're on the clock, but you knew that you had a plan and you were going to work in the direction of that plan. And if it worked great, if not, it didn't. 
but but talk to that like what was the time frame yeah so i met my husband in 2006 um, mm. I, I like to tell people I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Uh, and I, I met him because I started my company. I hired him. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so fantastic. Say, how did you meet your husband? I'm like, I showed up on his doorstep one day with an appointment. That's how I met him. Um, and he was involved with somebody else. I was involved with somebody else and um, got a chance to really get to know him as a human being. And when my relationship ended, I called my husband one day and I said, hey, look, do you have a brother? And he said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I was like, do you have a brother? And he said, why are you asking? And I said, well, I've seen you, you know, in your relationship with your partner. I've seen you as a business owner. I've gotten to know you as a friend. And they say birds of a feather flock together. Do you have a brother? No. Okay. <laughs> Not a friend? Also, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... So about um, he, I didn't know this at the time, but he was in the process of ending his relationship and he mm. didn't tell me that um, at the time. And about six months after that conversation, after his relationship ended, uh, he called me and said, my relationship's over. Can we go have coffee? And my first reaction was, I am not the rebound girl. Like there's nothing in my yeah. persona that would say I'm the rebound girl. So I was a little hesitant, quite frankly, to, to go have coffee with him. But I'm so glad I did because we haven't been apart basically since that coffee date. Um, what I didn't know and what the best man at our wedding shared was that my husband had a had a very strong reaction to me when he met me. Um, he met me and he was like, I have never met a person like this. She is she's just a different human being. And I, there's something about her that's intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. um, but he was very committed to his relationship and not looking to, you know, be irresponsible in that relationship. And, and I didn't even know he had that reaction to me. So he was able to kind of manage himself really well around, around that. And then when we started dating, back to this notion of the public, private, and secret reasons that we're together, we had a long conversation about winning the lottery, right? We were, it was one of those days that it was a billion dollars or something. And we were yeah. maybe two months into our relationship. And he was like, well, what would you do if you weren't, if you, if we won the lottery? And I mapped out in about five minutes, this kind of strategic plan around the money and how to live off the interest and not the principal. And we had this whole conversation and that's the day he decided he wanted to marry me. Well, that was good. Okay. Did, that was did why, why was it that day? It was that day. Cause he heard what I said. He was like, sure. Oh, okay. Like he had already been intrigued, right? He was like, who's yeah. this woman? And, okay, what's going on with her? And then when I was able to lay out this plan, it was like, okay, I'm sold, right? Yeah. Um, and he, he didn't tell me that, but we were, we were not six months into our relationship when he made that decision. Okay, that was actually gonna be my next question was how, how far in yeah. was that? Yeah, so. he was, we were not six months into our, our relationship. And then I think we both were like, well, you know, I need to see you winter, spring, summer, and fall. Like, let's, let's see what happens here. And yeah. he was recently out of a relationship. He had been out of his relationship about three or four months when we started dating. Um, 
And I had ended a relationship about six months before we started dating. So it was like we both needed to do our work to make sure that we were going to be whole and complete people before we made it, made the commitment to to be together. Um, about a year into our relationship. So we started dating in 2008 and about a year into the relationship, my husband was like, well, I think I want to move. And I was like, move where? <laughs> he said he wanted to move either to, to Georgia or to um, or to Nashville. So he wanted to move to either Tennessee or Georgia. From, said, from where? Where were you from, coming from? From Michigan. We were living Michigan. in Michigan. Okay. Yeah, which is where we're both from. And uh, so off he off he went, and uh, he he got to to Atlanta. He went to came to Atlanta, and I came to see him about three weeks after he moved here. And I saw him and I was, I, I literally just looked at him and I was like, oh, he's not leaving. He's, he's never coming back to Michigan. And it was hard for me because I was excited that I had met this man who was from Michigan. My family is from Michigan. I'm an only child. At the time, my parents were both living. So I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to have my man and my parents and this will be wonderful. Uh, and he was like, yeah, no, we're moving to Georgia. <laughs> And um, to the book, right, this book, Design Your Life, mm -hmm. I felt really good about the fact that I had designed a life where I could move with him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't move right away, but I wound up, you know, coming and visiting and, and all the things. And we wound up getting engaged in 2011 and married in 2012. Bam. And then, Got and it then, done. Yep. And then... Uh, five days after our wedding, while we were on our honeymoon, my mother unexpectedly passed away. Mm. And that's an experience that can totally destroy, right, a relationship. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if you haven't talked about, it's it's one of the things I talk about in Design My Marriage, right, is, is all of the things you need to talk about before you commit to this person. One of which is, how are we going to handle death? How have you handled yeah. death? How do you feel about death? Who are you worried about dying? Who matters to you most? You know, all the things. Mm -hmm. And we hadn't had some, we had had some of that conversation, but not all of that conversation. And so when my mother died, I was grieving, you know, 39 years of having my mother and he was grieving 39 years of what could have been. And it's important when you're talking about building a relationship with a person that you understand where they are, especially when it's new, because there is a shift between what how you feel when you're engaged and when you're married. Like, sure, I felt very different walking back up that aisle than I did walking down it. And so so it was important for me to recognize that his he had grief that was um, honorable and appropriate and, and needed to be honored in the process of us letting go of my mother. Yeah. Just as much as my grief needed to be honored in letting go of her as well. Right. So <clears throat> it's, it's really, it's interesting that we have you today. Um, I recently started uh, dating someone and um <laughs> and on our very first date, um, and, and we had had a little conversation leading up to our first date for like, I think a week. And, um, she had, she had been married before and, um, very mature, very professional woman, director level, like, like what you coach to. 
and um, she had a list of questions. And let me tell you, it was long. And we still haven't even made made them through it all. And so it's when you talk about your lottery experience with your husband, and it was like at that moment when he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to marry this girl. This is it. This is going down. This is the first time in my life that I've actually uh, dated someone, and we are continuing to date still, where like they're asking real revealing questions um, that pose, you know, the scenarios like what you're talking about as far as the public, private, and secret, but even the really deep questions like, you know, what about your parents and what if someone passes and like that she's like, I could probably like, I want her to send me her list so I can write a book on it because it's so unbelievably well thought out. And I will say, um, and just very objectively saying this too, uh, cause I wrote a book on dating and I have to be, and I'm very analytical and I'm, I'm very objective and pragmatic, pragmatic on how I approach things like this. I have to say, I feel like in the short amount of time that she and I have dated because we have concentrated and had fun with, right. And flirted and, and, and had laughs too. I don't want to make it sound like it's all academic. But because in the short amount of time that we've covered so many topics that um, are the, 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 the full landscape of a, of a life with someone in a long-term relationship, I feel like, like we've covered a year's worth of conversation in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. And it feels good, right? Like, like yeah. that moment your husband had with the lottery, like I'm sitting back going, wow. This is a this is a great feeling, and I've never experienced this before. And it doesn't even have anything to do with chemistry or intimacy or anything like that. It's just like, wow, this is this is really important stuff, and we're covering it. That's this is great. So, yeah, yeah I, I definitely get where you're coming from. There are too many people who don't have these kinds of conversations, and then something happens, and they're like, well, now what do we do? Mm -hmm. And they're ill they're ill prepared to navigate that. I mean. You know, my husband had to tell me that my mother died. So we're mm. picture this is we're five days in and we are on our honeymoon in South Africa. So we are, you know, we are a 16 hour flight back to Atlanta mm -hmm. and um, it's, I don't know, nine o'clock at night. We've been at a winery all day. So we're a little inebriated and have come back and gone to sleep because we were exhausted mm -hmm. and the phone rings. And uh, my husband answers the phone and I can hear my father's voice. Mm. And, and I said to my husband, I said, she's dead. I know she's dead. Get off the phone and tell me she's dead. Because there's no other reason for you to be calling on our honeymoon unless she's dead. Because I hear your voice, dad. So that means mom's dead. So literally like, the whole time he's on the phone, I'm repeating this. I'm like, she's dead. I know she's dead. Get off the phone and tell me she's dead. She's dead. I know she's dead. Hang up already. I know she's dead. Get off the phone and tell me she's dead. Get off the phone and tell me she's dead. So he has to get off the phone. And now to be clear, my mother was my very best friend. My pure example of unconditional love on the planet. And so now he has to tell me that she's gone. So he hangs, up, he hangs up the phone and he's like, so your mother died this afternoon. Now, what I did not know, 
uh, I, I come from a fairly well-known family in my hometown, was that half the city of my hometown already knew she was dead because um, my father had called back to our church. Um, long story short, there were a thousand people at my mother's funeral. So I mean, it, it, she was a very well-known person. And so people were praying that she was going to pull through this medical situation when she got rushed to the ER. But at the end of the day, he was in the position where he had to tell me. And imagine how hard that has to be for, for you as a man, five days in, to tell your wife that her mother died. Right? And, and how to get back to Atlanta from South Africa in the middle of your honeymoon. And so if you haven't had some of the kinds of conversations you and this new woman in your life have been having, it can be really hard when the rubber meets the road because you're in your own feelings about it, right? He's in his feelings of this, is, this was my mom too. And I just got her. And how do I feel about the fact that now I'm losing her, right? In addition to that my wife is losing her best friend. So having these kinds of conversations gives you a solid foundation for when life happens. And it's not a question of if life is going to happen. It's a question of when. You know, uh, Ian has heard me make a statement like this before. I wish I could take my two fingers and plug them into your ears and just download your entire brain. <laughs> just because I... I it, I'm, I, I genuinely um, and un, just unabashedly will say I'm really thirsty for uh, having those levels of conversations and understanding um, how to how to have those conversations with people at those absolute pinnacle and critical moments in people's lives, whether it's personal or professional. You know what? Actually, that 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 is a question. You know what? Let me lead this into another question. So when you reach a point, you know, pre pretend I'm someone you're coaching and it could be professional coaching. And because I know from professional coaching, because I've received it and given it that a huge, huge part of personal coaching is understanding balance, how to understand when you don't have it, how to get it, um, the journey that got you there and the journey back, et cetera. What if somebody says to you, you know, something very related to their personal life, which comes up in coaching all the time? Um, <clears throat> I don't know how to go to my significant other and ask them this question, whatever that question is. Um, just very professionally speaking, and certainly as a woman too, how, how, do, how would you advise somebody like that? So anytime somebody tells me that they don't know something, especially relative to what you're talking about. I know that's not true. When people say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I want. I don't know. That's a sign that the answer is unacceptable. That's the truth is that what you want or what you're going to say. <laughs> you see why I want to just plug in you, <laughs> just download. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not acceptable. The answer is yeah. not okay with you. Yeah. So if you're in a situation where you're now trying to say, I need to have a conversation with my spouse about something, my question is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid he's going to say? Where are you afraid to be vulnerable? 
Why, why don't you trust him enough to have this conversation? Or why don't you trust yourself enough to have this conversation? Wow. Just it's saying. A pretty, it's a pretty simple question to volley back to that person. What are you or, or what about the outcome or what about the answer are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or and, if and they already know the answer. And what about the situation is unacceptable to you? Like it's when people tell me all the time, I want X, Y, Z. I want a, I want a new car, right? What's your, what's your favorite car, Bobby? Jeep Wrangler, baby. Jeep Wrangler. Okay. Yeah. So let's just say you don't own a Jeep Wrangler. Cause I'm guessing you probably do. So let's just say you don't own one. Okay. So, okay. so you, you don't own a Jeep Wrangler and you're like, I really want to buy a Jeep Wrangler. Great. So why don't you have one now? And you're like, well, I, you know, I can't afford it. Well, that's a story because you spend, I, I'm telling you, if I look at your checkbook and your calendar, I can tell you what you value most. Oh, I love that. I've used that line many times that, that, that will wake people up. Yeah. You want to know what's important to somebody? Tell them to hand them your bank statement. Yep. Your bank statement and your calendar. Yep. And so, so I'm hundred percent sure you could afford it given what I know that you do for a living and you've got this great book and all the things. So what about owning a Jeep Wrangler is not ac acceptable to you? What's the story people might say about you? What's at risk for you in making that purchase decision? Not the cash, but in terms of your own social equity, in terms of your own vision of who you are as a person, in terms of other people's opinion of you, which, oh, by the way, is none of your business anyway. Like in terms of all of those things, what, where does that set you up? to be disappointed, to not want to go there because you don't want to deal with the ramifications of the choice. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> You're so good. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, so I want to take the conversation slightly in a different direction. <clears throat> so can you, you, you wrote a book called Design My Life and you're starting something called Design My Marriage. What, when you were dating and you had unsuccessful relationships, what were you trying to design? And, you know, what was, what, what was falling through? What struggles were you having? And uh, what, 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 ha what happened where you got to the point where now you have a successful marriage, you have an amazing husband, uh, and you were able to design the life that you wanted. So can you kind of walk us through uh, that process and stuff? Yeah, that's a great question, Ian. I think, you know, to understand what I'm about to say, I have to start by talking about my mom and dad. So my parents um, met and started dating when they were 12 and 14 years old um, in church. And mm -hmm. they married when they were 19 and 21. And my father lost my mother when my mother was 71 and he was 73. So they had a very long standing relationship. And because my mother got married when she was 19, my assumption was that I'd get married when I was 19 too. The problem was I was 19 in the early 90s. My mother was 19 before 1960. <laughs> right? Oh, wow. Big difference. So there's a big difference in terms of what culturally was happening. Mm -hmm. And so so my expectation that I'd be married when I was 19 was not based in anything that was real other than the fact that my mother was married at that age. 
So I was looking at boyfriends in high school trying to decide if this was the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. That was not smart. Yeah. How did that go? (laughs) (laughs) How did that go? That was, excuse me, that was not smart. It was not fair. (laughs) Right. Right. It was not smart and it was not fair. It was not fair to them. It was not fair to me. It was just not fair. And I think I spent so much of my early dating life with that question. Like, are you, are you the one that's going to marry me? Am I the one that's going to marry you? And um, before I dated my husband, I gave that story up. And, and I think it freed me to be able to look at my husband and say, is this a person I want to be partnered with? And I told him, I said, I'm trying to figure out if we can have an effective partnership because I had given up on getting married. I was like, I'm done with this marriage conversation. If I get married, great. If I don't get married, fine. I just want to figure out how to effectively partner with another human being because clearly my picker is broke and I don't know how to I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I hear that all the time. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. So, so Anne, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. So, you know. It, it sounds like what happened was you went from, you know, chasing after something to letting it happen and then making it, uh, you know, you, you reversed the situation. You made it instead of all about your significant other. Are you going to be the one? Are you going to be the one? Instead, you reversed it to, am I the one that's going to marry you? Um, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of what it sounds like. And I think a lot of people struggle in their dating relationships because they're constantly focused on the external people uh, that they're potentially dating and stuff like that. And they're not focused on themselves and what's going to make them ultimately happy. I think the focus, I'm going to, I'm going to stand for the and. So yes. And Um, I think, I think the distinction I would just draw is to say, I got really clear that it wasn't about being married for me anymore. It was about, being in partnership with another person and what was that going to mean and what was that going to look like and why did I want to partner with someone and what did this mean beyond me and this other person and those kinds of questions were what I was asking instead of you know having this the wedding day be the destination because the truth of the Mm -hmm. matter is I got married nine years ago in September and um had it been that, had that been the destination, then what were the last nine years for, right? If it had been just about a wedding day and a party versus creating a life with another person. And I think for, for so many people I've had an opportunity to coach around this particular topic, they're not clear about the life that they want to build with another person. Mm-hmm. Guilty. I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure have. So uh, before we before we started recording this show, you said something that like I could tell uh, me and Bobby we we looked at each other like okay that's that's an amazing topic. Yeah. Um, you said something that women don't necessarily know or understand that the way that their men think about them, uh, you know, treat them, love them, or, you know, can you kind of 
talk us through that and give us a little bit of insight on uh, the, some background on what what that means to you and and why you think that happens? Yeah, I th- I think fundamentally women don't understand, um, and I certainly didn't. So I'll speak for myself. I didn't understand that the men in my life fundamentally just wanted me to be happy. And I think when you, and I've had the opportunity to talk to lots of husbands, and I think that that's true for the men that I've talked to. They just, if they care, right? And that's a big if, right? And these, yes. you know, right. So if they care, I'm not saying this is, everybody qualifies. So, so, but if they care, they just want you to be happy. And I don't know that we as women understand that. Yeah. And so because we don't understand that and because we can't, we haven't been taught that it's okay. None of us have men or women, non-binary folks, right? We have not transgendered. If you are a human on the planet and if you live in North America, specifically in the United States, you probably aren't aware that you have the right to want what you want. Amen. <laughs> I you're love it. Not aware you're in my head. And you're also not aware that it's okay for you to articulate what you want. Mm-hmm. True that. Right? So when your husband says to you, your boyfriend says to you, what do you want for dinner? Like you need to have an answer to the question. And if what you want for dinner is a Burger King burger and McDonald's French fries, say that. I agree. Right. You know, because we say, well, I can't say that because that requires two stops and he's not going to want to do that and all the noise. Right. My husband and I, when we travel, it is very rare. If we're on the road going somewhere, we always make at least two stops. Always. Because he what I want to eat and what he wants to eat is not the same thing. And my general disposition is you should not have to eat what you don't want. So if you want Burger King and I want McDonald's. We will go through both drafters. I love that, and and I will, uh, I will echo uh, Ian's sentiment uh, for the conversation we had earlier. Speaking as a man, um, and I, I had was in a very long marriage previously, and I went out of my way to ask, understand, and I'm going to use a man word here. Okay, perform the love language most desirable to my mate and i was happy to do so and and genuinely speaking i didn't it wasn't a give in order to get uh, a thought or emotion that i had i did it because like i really wanted to make her happy like that worked for me i enjoyed doing whatever big or small things i could to Make her happy. And, and you know what? Manly. I do it for my kids too. It makes you feel very manly. Like I did that. It does. You know, it's you like, are right. You mm-hmm. hit, you are hitting it. Absolutely right. It, it will um, make my masculinity glow. Yep. yep. And that's important to me. Absolutely. Right. So like, here's another example, right. Of, of this kind of bravado that, that, that I'm talking about is, you say to to your significant other, what movie do you want to see, right? And she says, I want to see the new Marvel movie. And in your head, you're like, I took her to that movie. I did that. I took her. And it, there's this notion that you get your validation as a man in part 
in being able to do these kinds of things for the women in your life, the woman mm-hmm. in your life, the, and for your family, right? It's a piece of our cultural programming that, you know, men have a particular role that they play. Women have a particular role that they play, you know, in, 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 in same sex relationships, those roles are assumed by, by one partner or the other, right? There's, there's, there's someone, I I have a very good friend of mine who um, is a member of the LGBTQ community and she and her partner, her wife, um, they talk to me all the time about how they split household chores, right? And one of them is responsible for the outside and one of them is responsible for the inside. And in heterosexual relationships, there are people who the outside person is the girl and the inside person is the guy, right? Like it, it doesn't have to be along traditional gender stereotypes, but we all have a role that we have to play. And if you understand that the man in your life really does want to be the person who he's going to take pride in having done things for you. Mm-hmm. And if you can understand that, then it puts you in a position where you can say, okay, great. I get to ask for what I want. Totally agree. hundred percent agree. Now question. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the, the discussion. I'm going to turn it on its ear a little bit. Okay. Why don't women more intuitively, that's the word I want to use. Why don't women more intuitively understand that men, men in general, but let's say specifically their mate, their, their boyfriend or husband or whatever, why don't they understand that it's a, it is a, I'm going to bravely say a carnal desire to um, make them happy. Why? Like to me, that doesn't like that doesn't seem too hard to understand. Why is it so hard? <laughs> so I, I I'm only gonna speak for myself because I'm not a psychologist. My mother was, but I am not. Um, uh, my opinion about it is because we haven't taught women that. There's there's no space where we teach. First of all, we don't teach people how to be in a relationship anyway, mm-hmm. and we don't teach women in particular that their voice matters, right? So if we connect this back to the work I do in my daily job, you know, the women in your lives, right? The, the, the woman that you're dating, Bobby, and, and, and the, the woman that you're involved with in, in, they have careers and they go to workplaces and spaces every day where their voices are marginalized. And then they come home and why would they think when their voice has been marginalized and they've been told, you know, you're a girl, so you can do this, but you can't do that. What you want doesn't really matter. You know, you get the sexual messaging that sex is supposed to be for men, not for women, all of these things. Why would I then think that what I want matters? Mm. I hate that you had to say that. And I'm saying it as a man. I hate that um, because it's true. Yeah. And uh, now, interesting enough, um, and and I was I, I had great parents. My parents have been together now 41 years. Yay. Um, yeah, I love it. A great example of marriage. Great relate. Like I talk to my parents every day. It's great. And um, but. I was primarily raised by my mom because my dad uh, owned a company and traveled. So my mom was, 
you know, the, the cooker, the cleaner, the, the homework, going to practices, you name it. And I kind of grew up with this, um, <clears throat> and I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's how I grew up. Yeah. I grew up with this um, persona in my head that um, girls always get their way. Girls always get the jewelry. Men, men are kind of the knuckle dragging imbeciles. <laughs> um, and you know, the pretty girl always gets the successful guy, uh, the, um, the smart, you know, the girl with the best grades always ends up having the best life and is the most popular. And, and, and I can tell you, cause I spent several years in corporate too, before I became self-employed. And I can tell you that I did witness, uh, women uh, both in my organization as well as outside of my organization that, um, in my opinion, were able to uh, achieve achieve and be promoted um, beyond their capability because of how they look or because of their uh, personality as opposed to maybe one of their, um, shall we say, opponent in the race for a promotion who, frankly, was just more qualified. And I see that in dating, too, even more so. Yeah. So what's your question? So um, here's my question. What, what would you say to um, a woman? Uh, or you know what? Maybe a man who feels like that they're not achieving what they deserve um and i guess we'll we'll say for now we'll call this professionally speaking um because they feel like they're being um outraced by someone because of their um because of their gender yeah so i mean we're we're dealing with that now interestingly enough um as a result of of the last i guess we're at 18 19 months since the mm -hmm. pandemic started um, and so here's what I would say. You actually get what you tolerate in life. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you tolerate. And if you don't understand that that toleration is a thought set in motion, right? What you tolerate in your life becomes a thought, a cause set in motion then you're out of alignment with the, the natural law of cause and effect. So if you don't like something, you have the ability to change it. And if you wonder if that's true, take a look at the story of Steve Jobs. Right? Most of, oh. us, most of us know his story, right? We yes. know he's out of his company. We know he came back to his company. All of the things. We also know that this little thing we hold in our hands called a phone first existed as a thought in Steve Jobs' mind. And the reality is you have the same power to manifest what you want in your life that he did. The reality is you don't know how to access that. So you have stuff. You're a master manifester. You're just creating stuff you don't want. Man, could could you just say that a hundred times? Because <laughs> I want to make sure everybody hears it. You are a master 
manifester. You're just not manifesting the things that you want. That's right. I may just go have that tattooed on my forehead so I can look at it every morning. <laughs> just get it on a bracelet. You've got the bracelet thing. Yeah, I do. But, wow, that's awesome. And so, so true. And so, so let's uh, take that and move it to the world of uh, adult singles and dating. I like just like you've done a lot of coaching with professionals i've done a lot of interviews and some coaching with some singles men and women and i have said exactly what you just said i've used other words but now that i've heard your words i like them a lot better so i'm just gonna erase mine and put yours in its place <laughs> because it is it's that it's that impactful and it's not just impactful it's important um i truly believe in the world of dating um, and in fact, I believe it so passionately, I wrote a book around it, that there are people that are struggling with dating. Um, you know, the title of the book is undateable because one of their undateable tendencies is um, they are not manifesting what they really want. You know, they're not doing the work. They're not doing the self-work. They're not doing the coaching, the counseling, the reading, whatever. Um, even exercise and what they are doing instead. And I, I actually call it in my book is they're just eating the breadcrumbs. Just, Oh, here's a breadcrumb. I'll eat that. That'll, that'll get me by for this week or this month or, you know, this season. So it's absolutely the truth in dating too. And I hope people hear that. It is. I mean, people, people make a decision Sometimes they partner with people because it's the best option they had at the time. You know, it's funny as I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, if you and I wrote a book, we everywhere where you use the word career or promotion or whatever, we could just do a word search, take all of those words out and replace them with dating relationship intimacy because the parallels are profound between you know professional and career develop development as just the same as it is in dating there's a lot of parallels there is and people you know if we if we take the question you asked me earlier and you think about this in terms of the workplace we we say when a man is about 30 percent ready for a promotion he'll go ask for one a woman oh. won't ask for a promotion until she's about 120% ready to do the job. Oh my gosh, you are blowing my mind. Right? And so Is that true? It's I mean that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's it, people, women have no, no, to no. between 90 and between 90 and 95% ready before they're going to go ask. No, but I'm looking at it just from an illustrative standpoint. Right. So the percentage of men versus the percentage right of red readiness. Wow. Right. So if I don't think I'm ready. Right. So so here's an example. I'm a successful entrepreneur, African-American woman. I'm single and you um, are unemployed. Mm -hmm. You're going to shoot your shot. Yeah, you're right. You're going to shoot your shot. Um, if I'm a woman and I'm like, okay, I really want this guy. And I, I mean, I think this happened at an event I was, I hosted, um, 
there was a, a gentleman at the event and I knew that this particular person was attracted to this, to this man. Okay. And I said, I was, I, I, I paired them up. I, I said, so, so go to the person you most want to meet. And she didn't go over to him. Mm-hmm. And so I went over to her later and I was like, well, why didn't you go over to this man? And she was like, well, I didn't think he'd like me. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. Right. So this principle about being 30% ready for men and 99% ready for women shows up in the dating relationship as well. Right. Cause I'm not going to pursue what I really want. Cause I don't know that you'll, I don't know that I'm ready for you. I don't know that you'll say yes. Okay. I want to pick this apart. Can we? <laughs> sure. Um, I, I have my own biasnesses and uh, assumptions, but I would like to hear from you why. But whether you're talking about, for example, your friend, or if you're talking about career advancement, why are women, let's just say, why are women 66% less likely to shoot their shot versus a man? Yeah, it goes to what I said earlier, right? We're not taught that we're, it's okay to want what we want. And we have lots of messaging in the culture that says we have to be more ready then, right? If, if we take, um, if you take a look at the women who are CEOs and you were to look at their education, their experience, their background, you know, mm-hmm. if, if they're an operations leader, they were an operations leader three, five, seven years longer than their male counterpart before they got their CEO job. Ian, hit us. Uh, we got a few minutes left here. Let's uh, let's shift gears. Hit us with something. What you got, bud? So before we call it a day, uh, Cornelia, can you can kind of just give some of our audience some advice from your book? So you wrote a book, Design Your Life, where you basically give people a framework and kind of a, a step-by-step guide on how to design the life they desire. So can you kind of give us a little insight from that, that, you know, our single um, struggling to find and, and create the life that they want audience uh, can take away from this that they can get started and moving in the right direction. Absolutely. I, th- I think the biggest thing I would say that I talk about in the book is defining success for yourself, whether that is in your career, in your personal relationship, you've got to define what success means to you. And, and I think we live in a culture today where to coin a phrase, people are really trying to keep up with the Kardashians, right? Their definition of success <laughs> isn't about what they want. It's about what they think they should want based on what other people have, right? There's that great quote, we spend money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And yep. so so it's about really thinking through what creates a meaningful life to you, right? Um Marshall Goldsmith talks about in the he wrote the foreword of my book and he talks about the fact that you know if you're looking to create real meaning and joy in your life then you know this is this is a way to think about doing that creating a sense of what he says was what was most important to these highly successful people contribution meaning and happiness Happiness. These were so closely related, in fact, that they were almost impossible to separate. Each person wanted to give back and make a positive contribution to continue to do work that had true meaning and to be happy. 
These people aren't any different from you, the reader of this book. As you think about designing your future, Cornelia will guide you through the process of picturing success as you want to see it and identifying whether or not your career is aligned with your true passion while helping you ensure your need for these three most important things, contribution, meaning, and happiness are met. Life is too short not to. So that's what I would say. Very well stated. Contribution, meaning, and happiness. That's it. Spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if I may, um, would you tell us, uh, before we lead out here, yeah. because believe it or not, a, a, a pretty fair amount of our audience are people that are either in long-term relationships or are married. Um, I actually have a chapter in my book just for married people as it relates to how important it is to continue to date your spouse while married. Um, tell us about 3cconsult.com slash DMM. Tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, 3C Consulting is the name of our company. We were fortunate enough to get 3cconsult.com. It just makes life easier. And if you go to 3cconsult.com slash DMM, there's an opportunity to get notified when um, sometime in February of 2022, we are going to be hosting an event for um, couples, whether you're married or not, um, called Design My Marriage. And it's going to be all about some of the questions uh, that Ian heard me asking his colleagues at that event in, in uh, New York, there'll be an opportunity to get a chance to, if, if I can convince him to hear a little bit about my from my husband about his experience, um, you know, being married to me and being in our in our somewhat public marriage um, and how we navigate that and, and to really get some really good tools around how you effectively partner with another person, recognizing that that partnership can't just be about the two of you. Awesome. So if you want to join us, we would love to have, you know, folks sign up to be notified when we're when we're going to be opening up registration, uh, which is going to happen sometime uh, in December. Do you have a location picked out yet? You know what? I'm debating. I, I want to take a look at where people are in the world because I'm thinking about doing it in person in over Zoom is, is a oh, thing I'm okay. thinking about. But if if we do it in person, we probably will do it here in Atlanta. Okay, because I'm just saying St. Louis is very central to everything. Well, there's that. He's like, come on down to St. Louis. <laughs> if I can be biased. There's a little birdie who told me I might be coming to St. Louis to speak at a different conference about relationships. So, you know, there's that. Oh, I, mean, I don't want to let that cat out of the bag yet. <laughs> yes, we are planning a conference in uh, probably second quarter 2022. Yeah. Super psyched, super excited about it. Actually, it's the first time we've said it on the air. Yeah. So stay tuned for more of that. Yeah. And who knows? He's trying to convince me to come and talk more. So we'll see what happens. Uh, people are going to want to hear from you. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, your your years of experience and your your acumen about relationships and your own personal experiences. It is it's a beacon, and people need to hear it. So I really appreciate you being on the show today. Ian, uh, you want to lead us out with anything uh, inspiring of your own? No, I, I don't want to take any credit for anything that just happened because that was awesome and um let's let's end it here and we'll see you guys on the next episode <laughs>